very much. Your singing, your offerings to the Lord this morning. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 50. The psalm, the psalm's task here is to guide the believer in our worship, what we've been doing here. The very reality that there is an inspired guide to worship presupposes that there is a definition of acceptable worship. And there's a propensity to deviate, therefore, from acceptable worship. It's no secret that there are so many different ways that churches worship God. Psalm 50, really, in particular, takes up the task of defining what motivates true, genuine worship. Pastor Mike already alluded to the, the quote that Jesus told the woman at the well that we worship God in spirit and in truth. Today we're going to really dig into what that actually looks like from this psalmist's perspective. And so I'm eager to see what genuine worship looks like from Psalm 50. It's good to have Mark and Carol, Pastor Mark and Carol Mavar here with us. Uh, years of fruitful ministry in Panama. I don't even know. How long has it been? I know you do. I should know this. Almost 20 years? I was going to say 20 years. So about 20 years. These folks are a trophy of God's grace for Grace Church of Menor. And uh, so he would slap me over the head and tell me to stop getting all emotional. But we are so thankful for their Great Commission ambassador reality for the church's sake and for Jesus's. And they've labored long and hard. And uh, they've established a church in Panama. They've been able to train a Timothy to hand over that church too. And that is going well. And it was about 11 or so years ago that I led my first mission trip as a youth pastor from this church to the Mavars. And it was uh, quite a trip. It was my first trip, not my first trip internationally. I had certainly taken plenty of those, but uh, it was my first trip being responsible for teenagers internationally. <laughs> And uh, I won't name the teenagers on that trip, but uh, we all eventually made it back uh, through customs. Uh, and that was half of my worry. So I was a tightly wound ball at the beginning of the trip, trying to make sure everybody had all their documents and that we would get through customs. There was one time one of the teenagers was going through the do not enter, there will be no re-entry, and I had to yell across, you know, stop, so-and-so, don't go, because they would have been lost in customs world for who knows how long. And so it was a relief to me once we got to the airport, the, the, the airport in Panama, and frankly, once we got past all the signs I didn't know, all the custom agents, and I saw Pastor Mark and Carol. And then my, bow, my tightly wound ball just kind of went loose. And I was ready to let them guide us. <laughs> I was so thankful. And frankly, I was thankful that Pastor Mark was driving. 
I don't know how we fit, fit into all of the vehicles with the luggage. We were like the Tower of Babel with luggage all the way up to the sky. And I was just incredibly thankful that he was driving. Uh, the, the, they have these red Diablos in Panama. I will never forget them. In fact, they are uh, old school buses from uh, school districts. In fact, I saw a Willoughby Eastlake City Schools bus <laughs> all painted up. Uh, Red Diablo stands for Red Devil, by the way, if you didn't know that. And they're, they're all painted up, and it's kind of a quasi way, at least it was at the time, a quasi way of public transportation. And so you have uh, these, these guys who, I don't know if they get paid by how many people get on a bus in a day or what. They certainly seemed like it. They would just be, they would just be flying, and you had to literally jump out of the road. And, you know, this, I don't know how many ton bus just kind of barreling down the street. And I was just thankful that he was our guide he could get us through Panama. He could get us to the church. And um, I really needed that guide. We took a trip. Uh, hopefully we helped them in their church. But one of the things that I remember and what I like to do if, if we go into an area is expose the kids to God's greatness through his creation. And we took a, an eco trip. Do you remember that? In the Panama Canal. And we got into these little boats, and we saw all the industrial realities of the Panama Canal, and that's kind of what I thought of, right? Um, but, but we went past the, those things. We saw those things. We went past those things into the, more of the, the, the natural parts of the canal. And, and we had monkeys climbing on us. One of the girls, I don't know if Natalie's here today, uh, but one of the girls must have rubbed banana all over herself or something because literally uh, a, a, a monkey came down onto our boat from the tree off the canal and would not let Natalie go. <laughs> and and uh, Natalie's a smaller person, and she was shrieking, and I just had to remind Natalie that the monkey was, this was, this was a baby, little baby, little tiny, cute little thing. And Natalie, it's very tiny. It's tinier than you. It's going to be okay. But we had a great time. <laughs> I did, anyway. I don't know if Natalie did. Uh, but we had a great time. Her shrieking stopped. But, you know, I would have never have known about that. I would never have gone to the canal if I didn't have guides to take us, if we, if we didn't have a, a boat guide to take us from the industrial parts to the, 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 the places you would not know to look for, but you're glad you found them. And you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had an opportunity to, to go on vacation and stumble across, you try to plan all this stuff, and you look at all the reviews and TripAdvisor and all these things, and you have places you want to go because you don't want to miss what's there. You don't know what's there, but you don't want to miss it. We need guides. And my friends, Psalm 50 guides us to worship today. And we don't want to miss how to worship our God. And so Psalm 50 declares that a thankful heart, a thankful heart to God is necessary to rightly worship him. A thankful heart. And we have two main points, but I have an introductory matter. Now, whenever a someone says they have an introductory matter and we're supposed to be following an outline. That basically means that there's really kind of three points, but the first one doesn't fit in, in parallel to the other two. Okay, so that's my little secret. But this is an introductory matter. 
And this is really, I think, following the flow of the song here. And that introductory matter really lays the table for us so we can serve up these first or, or, or these next two points. And so before we serve the main dishes, let's look at the reality that God alone has every right, has every authority, has all the power to establish what exactly is acceptable worship to him. God has every right to determine what worship looks like. He has every right to determine what is acceptable. And so we see that he has every right to do that. And then we're going to see that a thankful heart is demonstrated in what we say. That's simple enough. Thanks comes out of our lips. And then a thankful heart is necessary and demonstrated by what we do, how we live. And so before we look at those two points, we want to see why it is that God has every right and make sure we're all, under, all agreed upon the fact that God has every right to define what is acceptable worship. And so we're setting the table here in verse 1. The Mighty One, God, the Lord. Those are three individual words, three names for God. El Elohim Yahweh, the Mighty One, God, the Lord. The emphasis is the reality that it is God here. Make no mistake. And God is what? He is or has spoken. And one of the unique features, and Pastor Mike's psalm, I think, had a little bit of this too when he preached a few weeks ago, but one of the unique features of this psalm, and, and, and by and large, probably there is no other psalm that, that has God speaking as much as this psalm is speaking it is mostly the entire psalm God is actually speaking. It's not the songist singing, but it's Israel singing about what God has told them. And so that's pretty important. And God has spoken. Hey, there's the clue. There's the guide. God is it. God is our guide in worship. And there's some support to that. And he summons the earth from the rising to the setting of the sun. Is there anything in between? The rising and the setting of the sun? What a beautiful way to say that God's authority is supreme. His authority is absolute. And we often think of guides as optional, don't we? You know, you go to the museum, the Natural History Museum, and there's that dial-in number that you can follow along with and hear an audio guide. And if it's a good audio guide, you may do it for a while, right? And, and if the guy is really boring and there's really nothing really going on, what do you do? You hit that big red button. It's just supplemental. It's not necessary. My friends, what, what, what's true here in this psalm is God is not a supplemental guide to the way that we worship him. It, it's not optional. From the rising to the setting of the sun, he has absolute authority to tell us. He has absolute authority. It's not supplemental. And there's an emphasis not only on the fact that, guide, that God excuse me, is the guide to worship, but that God has a special relationship with his people. 
In other words, the only real reason why his people can worship him in the first place is because God has made it possible. And isn't that true for us, even in this age today? That the only reason why we sit here, why we sing the songs that we do, as powerful as they are, is because God has reached into your life through the Spirit in Jesus Christ to make your heart submit to who He is. That's the same reality with God's people Israel here as the, in the context and the history of the song. Out of Zion. Certainly representing Jerusalem, but we see that this is really the context of Zion, of the Zion to come, the, the reality, the focus of, of, of where God resides and will reside. And out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God has shown forth. He's the one who has come to us. Right? We cannot go to him. The last time we, as a people, as a, as a, as a, the whole world tried to go to him, we tried to make a tower and become like him. How'd that work out? Not too well. And so the emphasis is on this special relationship, this special covenantal relationship that God has with his people. We see that really in verse 1, the mighty one God, Yahweh, that word Yahweh, that name Yahweh, is the covenantal relationship name for God and Israel. You can write down there Exodus chapter 3. It's a good place to understand that reality. Because of time, we're not, that's all I'm going to say. But that, that name says, I am your God and you are my people. That's what that name says. That's what Zion means in verse 2. It's a place that his people would enjoy. It's a place for a special people to God. Look at verse 3. May our God, Israel can say, our God, come and not keep silent. Fire devours before him and is very tempestuous, tempestuous around him. Well, that conjures up what? There's a lot of images of fire, but fire is, is, represents the very presence of God, did it not? For the Exodus and for the wanderings? Fire, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night? And so the very reality that God is present, God is with his people. Verse 4, he summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people. I mean, how many, how many times have we, do we have to read these verses to understand that really what is trying to get our sights in view here, our, our minds wrapped around, is the fact that not only can God establish and be the guide, but God is in a very special relationship. A covenantal relationship. And we're going to see that and unpack that a little bit more. Verse 5. Gather my godly ones to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. That covenant there is, is the or that, excuse me, that sacrifice there is the, is the sacrifice that actually bound that covenant with God and his people. 
unmistakes, unmistakable. The reality that God is in a special relationship with his people, and there's a promise, there's a covenant there. We're going to unpack that a little later, so kind of just hold that thought. Verse 7 again, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. I will testify. God has a special relationship. All right, can we, we got that? He's got a special relationship with this singer and the people who can sing this song. And at this point, you may be willing to see that God is establishing himself as God and as judge, as we see here, to judge his people. And it's very clear that there's a special relationship for him to do that. But you may be asking, okay, well, outside of the Psalms in general being a book of worship, songs of worship, how is God really interested in guiding specifically here? How is, he, how is it that this psalm is talking specifically about worship? Well, we've got the ascription up at the top. It's a psalm of Asaph. You know what's interesting about Asaph is David uh, directed Asaph, he was a Levite, to uh, write songs, sing songs for worship. And then if we fast forward kings and kings and kings later, we've, in that fast forwarding process we have kings who did right in the sight of the Lord, right? And then we have kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? And so then we get to King Ahaz. And was he a good king or a bad king? Oh, he was a bad king. He did evil, right, in the sight of the Lord. In fact, what did he do with the temple? What did he do with worship? He abolished temple worship, and he set up high places all over, right? Idols. And then King Hezekiah comes on the scene. Was he a good king or a bad king? He was a good king, right? He did right in the sight of God. And in 2 Chronicles, and because of time, we're not going to go there, but because in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we see that uh, uh, Hezekiah uh, wants the people to sing songs from Asaph and David and offer thanksgivings in the context of reestablishing worship in the temple. And so Hezekiah whips out psalms like Psalm 50 and wants the nation again, Judah, to, to worship Yahweh the right way. And so Psalm 50 was in that literature. And then if that's unconvincing that we really aren't in the context of worship, okay, I'm just really trying to bury that hatchet. Okay? I tend to, when I dig my holes, I tend to dig them deep. So I don't want you to argue with me. All right? Go to verse 8. Appreciate that. Go to verse 8. All right? I'd not, I do not reprove your sacrifices. Okay, sacrifices were always in the concept of worship. 
in verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. There it is. And if we still need it, verse 23 again, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. So this squarely is a, is, is a psalm talking about right worship and God as the sole authority and judge and guide to help us worship acceptably. Okay? Got that? Good. I'll move on to the first point. So we've seen that God is judge, and he alone is guide. And we're going to see that, it's a, it's, that a thankful heart is necessary. A thankful heart to God is necessary to rightly worship him. And so, as I said before, our first point begins in verse 7. A thankful heart is demonstrated in what we say. In what we say. Now, I just told you the prescription, right? How to rightly worship God. Well, a thankful heart is demonstrated in what we say. We've got to be thankful in what we say. We're singing songs of thanks to what we say. But I kind of put the cart before the horse a little bit because if there's a prescription, there's a problem, right? At least there should be. You don't take prescriptions, medication... If you don't have a problem, if you do, that's called an addiction. That's not good. So what are some of the problems? Well, verse 8, I do not reprove you for your sacrifices. Well, their sacrifices weren't a problem, and this was underneath the Levitical system. This is literal animal sacrifices underneath uh, the Mosaic Covenant. Okay? So their, their sacrifices weren't a problem. Let's keep on going. And your burnt offerings are continually before me. The frequency of their sacrifices wasn't a problem. Verse 9, I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male, nor male goats out of your fold. It wasn't what they sacrificed that was a problem. So what was the problem? The problem really is that they're relying on their duty to sacrifice rather than on their relationship to worship. Their duty over relationship. Because God, you know, says, I don't need that stuff. Verses 10, 11, 12, 13. I don't need it. That's not the point. There were those who defined their relationship with God in terms of duty. Going and offering, going and offering, going and offering, going and offering. And duty isn't necessarily a bad thing. Their duty was to go and to offer, right? It was. Go and offer, go and offer. And it never, ever stopped until we get to Jesus Christ. The song doesn't seem to have a problem with duty, but the problem with duty is that it can become the main thing. Can't it? Come on, guys, we got to go to church, get dressed. Daddy, do we have, let's go. Everyone's waiting for us. It can become the main thing. Now, what makes me, or you, a good dad is not that we provide for our children, but that we delight to provide for our children. What's the difference? I love, and you love to hear your children laugh and light up. 
when they delight in some sort of provision, whether it's necessary or not, that you give. Right? I, I can remember the first time I, we gave Stella ice cream. I did not talk with my wife about this. This was on vacation, and I just bought an ice, more ice cream cones than I needed to, and I, think, I don't think Stella would still have ice cream if it were up to my wife. <laughs> our, the very day, we have what's called the music truck that comes down our street. <laughs> not the truck. Don't you dare spoil it for me, all right? My life is so much, I have a little bit more money that music truck comes like three or four times a day down our street, doesn't it? It's all the time. And I think it's their personal vendetta for me to cough up, and then they're going to just leave. But my, my daughters just think it's a music truck. It's great. That's true. There's music in the truck. I'm not, I'm not uh, lying or anything. I'm just not telling maybe the complete truth. But anyway, we gave Stella ice cream outside off the banks of uh, the Finger Lakes in New York, and I can remember she didn't want to dive into that cold lake. Uh, she was around one-ish, whatever. But uh, she dove into that ice cream, and there were waves of ice cream all over her face. Right? I just love that. I just love that. The duty of providing is, is such a great delight because it, it allows you to further your relationship with your children. And now I'm convicted about the music truck, okay? <laughs> but there are those who decide not to have a relationship with their children. And the courts step in and make them provide. Right? We call that child support. And the very fact that they provide does not make them a good father. They're not interested. If it weren't for the courts, they wouldn't even be doing anything. And so there's a world of difference between a dad who does merely their duty and a dad who delights in relationship, isn't there? God doesn't just want our duty. He wants a relationship. And thankfulness is the key to relating with God. And in the New Testament concept, it is bound strongly, and we sang of it this morning, of the grace of God according to the God's grace in our life. And what's our natural response to God's grace in our life? It's to say, Hallelujah! And the ironic thing is uh, about duty is God doesn't need it. You know, God doesn't need these sacrifices. Verse 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, we read them. I'm not going to read them. He's created everything. He doesn't need it. He's the creator who's chosen you. There's nothing you need to do to get that relationship. It's already there. It's already there. Yahweh, the peculiar, special name, because God has chosen a special people. And that's true for us in the church. 
You know, you can write down Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, Romans chapter 1. There are so many places that it is clear that God has chosen you and he's the reason why you're sitting here this morning. So what's the point of the sacrifices then, right? It's always a question. God doesn't need them. If we already have a special relationship with God, then what's the point? The sacrifices for the Old Testament saint were a concrete, tangible way to demonstrate that they did indeed have a special relationship with their God. That was the point. It was to ratify, to continue that covenant, that promise that God had given them. And so it's clear that he is not interested in duty alone. He never has been. He never will be. There was a covenant. There were sacrifices. But it was not the basis of God's relationship. His choosing them were. And so we move from the problem of mere duty to the prescription. And that is thankfulness. The prescription is a thankful heart which is demonstrated in what we say. We've already said that. But I just want to be overly clear that we're going to see that here in verses 14 and 15. The prescription, the way that we rightly worship God according to how God wants to be worshipped. I'm not making this up. This is in God's word. God is our guide. He wants to be worshipped and he wants us to demonstrate a heart of thankfulness, a heart that expresses thankfulness through what we say. When we consider the concept of thanksgiving as New Testament believers, there, there does seem to be uh, more attitude and, and it's more spiritual in nature. I, I, I have this, we could call it, it's, it's really more subjective. It's more emotional oftentimes. The songs that we tend to sing, especially in modernity, is, are, they're, they're subjective in nature. We sang a few subjective songs this morning. And, and, and I'm not saying there's, there's anything wrong with that. You know, all I need is Christ, and, 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 I, and I want him to be my all, right? Those are, those are good, worthy things to say. But the problem with those things is that it can often easily be very emotional and subjective as we sing together, but then as we leave, what happens, right? What happens? Now, that happens in our church. I know that happens to me. I meet with you. I reorient my realities of worship. And then I go through the week and bam, bam, bam. And I forget all I need is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I forget that. It's very easy to be bound in emotions. We're emotional creatures. And, and God doesn't want us to worship devoid of emotion. But when I say a prescription the right worship is a thankful heart which, which is demonstrated in what we say, that can be rather laissez-faire to the modern listener. That can be rather <laughs> in one ear and out the other. Okay, yeah, let's say right things. We gather and we say right things and, and praise the Lord. Awesome, great. But for the Old Testament saint, if they were to have heard that, it literally would have been a concrete tangible way of life bound up in verse 14 offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving that literally is a sacrifice it's not just saying thank you Lord 
It literally is a sacrifice that is not prescribed, that is given out of the abundance and the motivation of the grace of God in in having a relationship with God because we are his special people and he has done amazing things for us. And so here you go. And here is a tangible way for me to demonstrate that you deserve everything. It costs more than an hour's worth of time singing a few praise songs, is my point. It really does. And all too easy, we just kind of ebb and flow with that path of least resistance. And so God does not want us to merely sing these things. He wants us to live these things. He wants us to live these things. He wants us to live in thanksgiving. And that's really what we see here in verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Okay, what does that look like? Well, literally, it's a sacrifice. And then verse 14b, and pay your vows to the Most High. Rather than sending sacrifices, one man says, God requests the worshiper to send consecrated promises. Think about that, a vow. And pay your promise to the Most High. So what you say, right, in your thanksgiving offering, pay it up in your life. That's what he's saying. That's what the song is singing. And so a vow is a promise with consequences, isn't it? You made a vow if you're married, and boy, does it have consequences. It had consequences for Sharla, I tell you. And I had a really good, awesome end of the deal on that one. I know you feel the same way. Women, I know you feel the same way, ladies. Vows are words that require actions. Vows are not hollow words. And think about the word pay and pay your vow. Just like cash, there are only so many words you can actually do. Right? You ever overpromise and underdeliver? Well, Chris Wazowski and I, we grew up together. That's why we're all kind of crazy and weird. But Chris has a saying that I stole a long time ago. We always underpromise and way overdeliver. Oh, yeah. If I tell you, oh, I can do that in a week, and I do it the next day, and I probably thought I could do it the next day, that's, that is a good thing for me. But then it gives me a week if I can't do it. Right? You only have so many words. And you can only do so many words. And you've made promises that you haven't been able to keep. I've made promises I haven't been able to keep. God doesn't do that. Aren't we thankful? Aren't we thankful? (laughs) But just like cash, there can be a thousand promises. But how many promises can you fulfill in one day? You have a limited amount of time. You have a limited amount of energy. I have a limited amount of brain space. There's a limit, limit, limit. Effort is exhausting. Resources are scarce. Time is always ticking. And the point here is to make sure that you prioritize what you say, and then you do it. 
pay your vows. What you say in thanksgiving to God, make sure you do. Are you hearing me? Make sure what you say, you do. That's what he's saying. Boy, I hope we kind of walk a little bit more soberly into our worship services after this. This is the first time we've had this reality, I know. But it's a good reminder. What we say, make sure you can pay and make sure you do it. It's a thankful heart that puts God first in the limited time, in the limited money, in the limited efforts, in the limited, limited energies that we have. It is a thankful heart that puts God at the first of all those things. And so that's why really wise saints that I look up to often spend their Bible reading time in the morning. Why? Because they don't know what the rest of the day is going to be like, and they don't know what their time is going to be like, and they don't know what their efforts are going to be like. But my goodness, what I say I'm going to do, and if I really want to depend on God, I've got to start somewhere, and where do I start? It's a good thing to start first thing in the morning. Anyway, just stuff like that. Pay your vows, verse 14. Verse 15, call upon me. There it is again. There's another reality of, the, of, of verbal realities of this Thanksgiving. And we're to call upon God in times of trouble. Right? God is our rescuer. <clears throat> in times of rescue, <clears throat> excuse me, we're honoring him. We're not saying, oh yeah, man, did you see how great I was? And boy, what about so-and-so? No, but in times of trouble, we're a thankful heart is, is a heart that calls on God as the rescuer. And then when trouble is rescued or delivered, we're quick to thank God the Most High. So where we go for help and who we decide to honor reveals our thankful heart. But if I am constantly, consistently in defeat, even verbally. Right? And some of us can, can think about someone like that. We don't think of ourselves. But if someone is always quick to, whoa, 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 and oh, this is not going to work, oh, this is terrible, and oh, the cup is always half empty, they are a drain to be around, aren't they? Call them Debbie Downers. Right? But you know what the reality with Debbie Downers are? is they are just choosing not to be thankful. To always be critical. To always be pessimistic and to forget that God is the one that we call to in the day of trouble. That he is the one that we, that he wants to be honored when we are rescued. And so we've seen that duty alone is not enough to rightly worship God. But there's another corrective here as well. If people who were in the covenant community were uh, not just full of duty, verses 7 through 15. But there were also another group of people in this covenant community that the song writers singing about, and that's in verse 16. The wicked, the hypocritical, the deceivers, those who deviated from worship in spirit and in truth. And we're going to see how that's true here in a second. So if the first problem was a relationship of duty alone, 
The second is one of deviation and deception. And so the problem is a sacrifice of deviation, right? But to the wicked, verse 16, God says. Why are they wicked? Well, we're going to find out that they departed from God's standards. They departed from God's law. They departed from the standards of the covenant. So first of all, they are forgetful fakers. See that? Verse 16, 17. What right have you to tell my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. They hear it? They forget it. They are forgetful fakers. They would say one thing about God's word and then do contrary to it. Right? Hypocrites. Duplicitous. The text gives us one key way to assess if someone is a forgetful faker. Look at that, verse 17. For you hate discipline. If you looked at the NIV, that word would be instruction, and I think that's a great way to translate that word because that word discipline is often used in a gentle, necessarily fatherly correction in somebody's life. And don't we, ready? Don't we enjoy that here? That necessary, fatherly, gentle correction of our lives? No one's shaking their head yes. No one likes to be corrected. But my goodness, as we relate to each other, as we disciple each other, as we encourage each other around God's word, there's a lot of correcting going on. It's this kind of correcting. It's not harsh and, and exacting, but it's gentle and fatherly, like a father to his children. But the wicked hate that because they hate the truth. They want to forget it behind them, right? They don't want anything to do with it. And I'm so glad we have a church where our culture is to learn from one another. Not to, not to pretend from one another. But to genuinely, humbly, transparently live God's word. And to know that I'm going to mess up. And when I do, you're not here to crush me. You're here to gently... Tenderly, like a father to children, discipline or instruct me. And we can do that in all various ways. Sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes it's by example. Sometimes it's just praying. Sometimes it's being silent and saying nothing. <laughs> so they're forgetful fakers. They're, they also approve of uh, sin. See that in verse 18? When you see a thief, you are pleased with him. And when you associate with adulterers, Excuse me. And you associate with adulterers. There's, they're not necessarily involved in sin, though, though they are, uh, probably. But verse 18 says that you're you're associating with them. You're 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 approving of sin. And Christian, can I just encourage you, as a matter of application here, just to be careful that as our culture gets louder and louder, and our culture has pr frankly always been loud, it's just loud in different ways now, as our culture is louder and louder, more Christians may say, yeah, I think that that is wrong, 
but it's their right to feel that way. I've heard people say that. Yeah, I think it's wrong, but it's their right. They can do it. We live in America. Okay, let's just, for a second. Who is the judge? Who is the guide in this passage? It isn't the Bill of Rights. It is the God of heaven. Amen. Right? Now, when I say that, it's not ours to try to lurch a whole kind of culture onto all culture and try to save the culture. We don't save culture. We see saved souls. The individual. Right? So there's a balance there in that perspective. But the fact of the matter is, no, the God of the universe never gives anybody the right to go against him. He just doesn't. And so we don't have the right to worship him how, how we think he ought to be worshipped. We've got to find his guide and do it. Amen. And so, uh, not only do, uh, not only are they forgetful fakers, not only do they approve of sin, but they use words of deceit. Words of deceit, verses 19 and 20. Let your mouth loose in evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit, you speak against your brother, you slander. So far, we could sum up these folks by saying that their life was a lie. Their life was a lie. What they say is a lie. How they live is a lie. They did not live according to the covenant relationship they had been given. Okay? So they use words of deceit, and they assume approval. And this is... I want to park here just for a second. They assume approval. This is, this is so... So the nature of sin and sinners to assume approval because God is not currently King Jesus is not currently on his throne here if he were it would be a lot different wouldn't it he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven but the song's context is a future context think about the, the, the concept of he, he's going to judge his people Right? He's going to summon the earth together and, and kind of have this courtroom drama that we're singing about. And so God summons the earth and he will judge his people Israel and all the world will see that and be witness to it. But the critical thing to understand is that from a historical perspective, you could be a person enjoying the privileges of the covenant community in Israel, but be a deceiver be someone who fits into verses 16 through 22. Be the wicked. There were plenty of those. We just talked about kings who did evil in the sight of the Lord and kings who did right in the sight of the Lord. I mean, it's throughout. You know your history a little bit. And it appeared that because God was silent in the matters at hand that God actually approved of their behavior. And so then what did he do? He sent the prophets on the scene, right? And he tried to, thus saith the Lord! We're still going to do wickedness. And because that wasn't loud enough, they expected God to come and change their ways if they were really wicked. And that's really a cry of our culture today. 
because things are going on, because we have great technology, because everything seems to be going right, except for the pandemic, except for this, except for that, except for that, right? We're good! We're good! We're good! What's the point? The guide says no. No, you're not good. Verse 21, these things you have done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. You thought that I approved of how you were living. But you could not be more mistaken. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. And so, my friend, don't let... There's a world of difference between a Christ follower and a Judas. Right? And just because Judas seemed to fool everyone doesn't mean God approves. God is judge and he will be summoned. And so the prescription is a thankful heart which is demonstrated in what we do. Verses 16 through 23. And what we do, it's a thankful heart in what we do. So to understand verses 22 and 23 in closing, we've got to kind of go back to verse 5. Okay? So let's go to back to verse 5. All right? Verse 5 says, Gather my godly ones to me. Remember I said we were going to come back to this about the covenant relationship. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the key here is those who made a covenant with me. That word made is literally the word to cut into two. To cut. To cut a covenant. And in Genesis chapter 15, you could kind of cross-reference that there. We're not going to go there. But we have a very graphic picture of this covenant-making process. The word cut is depicted in Genesis 15 where God made a covenant with Abraham, the land, the sea, the blessing, the Abrahamic covenant covenant in order to ratify or make this 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 seal this covenant to make this covenant official this is what happens god commanded abraham to bring a number of animals to the altar and literally he cut them in two laid them side by side you know what that's a picture of that's a picture of follow the covenant each party follow the covenant covenant and if that doesn't happen What is due? What is the penalty for not following the covenant? Being cut into two. There's teeth to this promise. Okay? Follow me? It's intense. But that helps us understand verse 22. Look at verse 22. Now consider this, you who forget God. Are you ready? Because here's where all of those people who like to say God is such a violent God, and we're going to take out our highlighters and we're going to show where God in the Old Testament is just awful and violent. Ready? Here it is. Or I will tear you into pieces, God says, and there will be none to deliver you. Boy, that sounds pretty intense. Pastor Steve, here we go. Speak softly. That's intense. Uh, uh, God's a loving God. Uh, uh, What's the context? The context is a covenant context. He's talking to people who he made a covenant with. And what is the covenant teeth? It's literally to be 
cut into two if you don't follow it. So no, God isn't a violent God. No, this isn't just out of the blue that he's got some vindictive thing with humanity. No, God has been a loving and gracious and merciful God because they long ago broke the covenant. In fact, way before the covenant was made, God said that you would not be able to keep it. Specifically the Mosaic Covenant. So I'm going to have to send someone to give you a new heart because you're not going to be able to do this on your own. That's the kind of loving God, even though the covenant was ratified and it was official, <laughs> and the penalty for not doing it would be to literally be torn into two, into pieces. He has been so loving and so gracious. And so what? And so, verse 23, he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And to him who orders his way aright, I shall show salvation. So for those who are going to see the covenant for what it is and, and are going to walk according to the covenant, the song says, live ordered right. And that's true for us in this dispensation, in this church age we don't offer literal sacrifices of thanksgiving but you know plenty of passages where our life Paul says is to be a sweet smelling aroma and thanksgiving to God take your Bibles in closing and go to Hebrews chapter 13 because you know what I didn't want to tell you this at the beginning because we could have just you know ended right here and you said Pastor Steve that's awful because basically Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 and 16 basically summarize this entire song so the author of Hebrews says through him Christ then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God we're no longer the Mosaic Covenant, we're no longer offering up animal sacrifices and all those things. We understand that. We know that our once-for-all sacrifice is seated on the throne, ready to come back. But let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, praise and doing good, Boy, that almost sounds like the outline, doesn't it? Saying things that are thankful and doing things that are thankful. Huh. Interesting. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. In Christ, we can learn to be thankful. In Christ, we can learn to live rightly. And in him, we can please God. Amen. It is vacation season. And I'm so thankful many in our church family get to spend intentional time with their families exploring God's creation on any big trip. Right? Most of you spend hours and hours, I do, finding the best hotels at the best prices. Right? <laughs> Always got to be the best prices that we can afford. The top places to go and even the best times to go see them. You all gave us a 
time last year to be away for a month. And it spent, I spent all the year before planning that. Probably you did too when you did yours, trying to figure out. Now, we, didn't, we weren't rigid. Okay, I'm not that kind of vacation taker. But we at least wanted to know if we're going to go in the, by this area, if we have time and if we so desire, this is a really cool thing to see. Right? And sometimes you even hire a touring company, some of you, so that you don't have to do all those things and you get to hear and see everything you want to see. Cruises, day excursions, bus excursions. I know Mr. Dodge just recently did a big bus excursion out west. So cool. You don't want to miss what's right there. You don't want to do it. You're spending all this time and this money. The boss is waiting for you to come back. You want to see it. My friends, don't miss the way we ought to worship God. There is a lot in terms of worship style out there. But there is one guide, one judge, and he alone determines right worship. And that is a thankful heart. That which we say and that which we do. Father, I pray that you would help us today to not miss it, to not miss how in the world we worship in spirit and truth as we look at Psalm 50. That we do that, certainly through the word of God, but we do that true life, not just out of duty, certainly not out of deceit, but through a heart of thanksgiving. Not just in what we say, but in what we do. So Lord, as we leave this place, help us to always see the manifold grace of God in our life. And help us to be people who really mean that in what we say and in what we do, not just in an hour or two a week, but every day, every hour, every moment. And Lord, we confess, I confess that we need your help to do that. We, we constantly need the word of God in our lives to give us that kind of a perspective. So be our guide. Not our conscience, not our culture, but, oh Lord, we submit to you and we ask you to make our worship acceptable. In Jesus' name, amen.